0: Well, welcome back, everyone. It's so good to see so many uh, old friends and new faces here since I've been here last time, a year ago or so. Your church is growing. It's so beautiful to see this community thriving. Uh, My name's John, Um, if you didn't catch my name. I'm so glad to be speaking to you today. uh, I'm actually a pastor with another church uh, in Coquitlam called Coquitlam Alliance Church. And uh, it's my pleasure to just come and see you guys and, and an honor, really, to preach out of the Bible. And so that's what we're going to be doing today for the next half hour. Uh, Today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. I thought it was so fitting that Sarah prayed really out of Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. So if you have a Bible, you can go there now. Uh, It's also going to be on the screen behind me. Um, And this is God's word for us today, Matthew chapter 5. Starting in verse 1, it says this. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Verse 9 Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for, their, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Today we're going to be focusing on verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I just want to pray for us as we begin today. Would you bow your heads with me? Uh, Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for its promises. Lord, we thank you that you say, uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Father, we pray today as we open the scriptures that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, that you would move uh, in this congregation, in this people today, those watching online, those listening in later, God, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Um, Be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name amen amen Uh, you've probably heard it said that uh, big big boys don't cry big girls don't cry right Um, but Jesus would say different Uh, you've probably heard it said successful people are perpetual optimists but I would say to you it's realistic to admit when things are broken you've uh, heard it said in life that we live uh, we die, we return to the ground, and our sufferings have no meaning. But I say to you, though you die, all of your losses will be restored. All death will be defeated. As, and as you turn to the Lord, you will know comfort both now and forever. This is really the heart of the message of the second beatitude. And today I'd like to look at Jesus' teaching on the Beatitudes, specifically the second one and what it's saying. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I have four observations that I want to kind of make about the text and for you to follow along uh, as we talk about this passage in Matthew 5 and, and particularly mourning, this idea of grieving. What does it mean to do this? Why is Jesus saying that those who do this are blessed? So the first point is, is this, we are all spiritual zeros, and I'll get to that. Our second point is, mourning is realistic, it's realistic. Third, uh, comfort comes from God. And our last point is, there's no resurrection for tears, okay? So that's where we're going to be going today. Matthew chapter 5, let's get into it, okay? If you have your Bible open, you can just leave it there to Matthew 5. We'll be in and out of the text. What we need to understand about the Beatitudes is that they are not helpful if we read them as a laundry list of what we need to do better. They're actually unhelpful. There's been a lot of moralism that's come from that, a lot of over-religiosity that has come from that. In fact, Jesus is declaring that really... You and I are not these things. We're not these things. That you and I are spiritual zeros. Uh, in the Beatitudes, we have eight sayings of Jesus that together form the introduction to quite a long, long passage, three chapters long, his sermon. The greatest sermon ever told, right? The Sermon on the Mount. And, and you and I need to be careful when we hear Jesus' teaching. We need to be careful how we listen to him. What I mean is we need to be careful that we think about who is speaking to us. If we treat Jesus as somebody giving us their, you know, their, just their, their book on life and what things, if he's just another political leader, if he's just another teacher trying to gain followership, then we might read this list as stuff that we need to do. This is what I need to do to be a good Christian. And we need, that we need to become poor in spirit, mourning, gentle, hungry for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, persecuted, so on. But this is not actually what Jesus wishes for us, that we go and apply ourselves to do all of these things with all of our effort. And it's not what Matthew is compelling us to do either. Maybe that pricks your interest. You're thinking, really? <laughs> that's, that's my whole life. That's what I've been told. But Jesus is not making a grocery list of the kind of people that he's looking for. He's not not looking to recruit these kind of people to his cause. Okay, and this is good news. Jesus is describing what his kingdom people are and what they are becoming, what he is making them into. Jesus is describing the work of transformation in the human life. He's not describing the people that he's looking for. Uh, It's important that you and I don't enter listening to this with a false sense of ourselves i think it's it's uh, i don't know if you're like me but often i'll just think of all the good things about myself and forget all of the worst parts about myself and we're, te- we're tempted to think yeah i've been i've mourned before i've been pure in heart once before i've i've you know i've i've wanted it to be righteous once before and we think that i'm this person this is i'm the person jesus you found a beatitude person but we need to be careful, um, and also, if if you're if you're if you're not hearing a little bit of sarcasm in my voice, I'm very glad you're here today. Okay, we need to be we need to be careful how highly we think of ourselves. That we're not we're not this person. If we're honest, we read that list. We aren't that people, and the good news is Jesus is not looking for beatitude people. He is instead looking for sinners. He's instead looking for people who don't make the cut. Jesus is looking for people who do come up empty. Because when you've come up empty, when you're a spiritual zero, then you can be filled. When you come up empty, then you can be filled by Christ. I like how Dallas Willard described it in uh, his book on the divine conspiracy. He says in the Beatitudes, Jesus declares, blessed are the spiritual zeros, blessed are the people with no spiritual qualifications or abilities at all. Blessed are you. You have nothing. You're empty-handed. You're coming with nothing. Blessed are you. This is what Jesus is saying. So what is good about being a zero? What's good about that? Right? We, don't want to, we want to be number one. We don't want to be a zero. What does that mean? What's good about being a zero? When you think about a room, when a room is empty, there is a place for you. When the, when the hotel's full, there's nowhere for you to stay. It's nice when the room is empty. When a throne is vacated, there is a place for Jesus to take in your life. There's freedom for him to rule. When you bring nothing in your hands, you're able to carry whatever he freely chooses to give you. I want you to listen to the blessings that Jesus promises to the people who come to him empty-handed. He promises, he longs to give you these things. He longs to give you the kingdom of heaven. He longs to give you comfort. He longs to give you the inheritance of the earth, satisfaction forever, mercy, the ability to see God, to be called a son and a daughter of God. That's what Jesus has on offer. But only for people who are willing to say, I have nothing. I need you. And so Jesus says, In my kingdom, those who are in a state of mourning are blessed. Those who are in a state of mourning are blessed because they will receive comfort. When you have nothing, you're mourning. Blessed are you because you will receive comfort now, in part, and completely in eternity. This leads me to my second point, that mourning is is the most realistic option most of, a lot of the time. Mourning is realistic. <clears throat> what, let's define the term, what do we mean when we say mourning? What, is, what does Jesus mean when he says the word mourning? In verse 4, the word used for mourning is pentheo. And this word for mourning is actually the, one of the strongest Greek words for uh, one of the strongest uh, words in the Greek language for lamentation, passionate bewailing, passionate brokenness. It, it's what it's meant to mean is passionate grief that leads to action. You're so you're you're, you're mourning so much you want to scream. You're you're so angry you want to yell at the sky. And what does Jesus say to that person? Has that ever been you? What does Jesus say to that person? Blessed are you. When I was younger, I was uh, living in the States, and uh, I used to get so frustrated with my situation, I would drive out to the ocean where the waves were the loudest, and I would just yell at the ocean. <laughs> and I tell you what, I did not feel blessed in that moment. I was yelling at the ocean because the waves would cover my voice. And, and what does Jesus say to me? Blessed are you. So to mourn in Jesus' way is to be in a state of mourning, mourning where we act upon passionate grief. That's what it means to mourn. Uh, That's what it means, pantheo. Now, let's ask ourselves, did Jesus ever live that way? Did Jesus ever live in a way of mourning? Did he practice what he preached? He's saying, blessed are you when you're mourning, for you will be comforted. If you're you're like me, you're probably thinking about Lazarus, Jesus' friend. Lazarus died. We, We know the story. If you know the story in the bible there's a story where jesus was overcome with grief that his friend lazarus dies and so he marches to the tomb and he says lazarus come out of the tomb and he brings him back to life he resuscitates his friend right the story is found in john 11 and in john 11:35 you probably have heard this before the shortest verse in the bible right john 11:35 jesus wept jesus wept actually it's true in john 11 we see the second beatitude embodied by the lord we see jesus practicing what he preaches that there's great blessing in mourning and his radical behavior incredibly radical behavior was confounding to martha to mary to everyone around him at the time, how can he be acting this way? Lazarus has died. Martha mentions how frustrated she is with, with Jesus in, in John eleven twenty one, 21, where she says, Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Does that sound familiar to you? Have you ever said that to God? Lord, if you would have just moved in my life, then this wouldn't have happened. I think we can identify that. God, where are you? But Jesus would say to Martha, to you, to me, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, rightly, you know, thinking this through logically, rightly experienced, this should leave you with a lot of questions. It does sound upside down. It does sound backwards. It doesn't feel like it makes sense. It seems counterintuitive. If, you're in, if you think like that, uh, you are in good company, okay? So uh, G.K. Chesterton, who's an intellectual and a philosopher, once said this uh, about the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the Beatitudes. We can go there on the slide if you have it. G.K. Chesterton said, On first reading the Sermon on the Mount, you feel that it turns everything upside down. But the second time you read it, you discover it turns everything right side up. The first time you read it, you feel it is impossible. The second time you read it, you feel like nothing else is possible. And Chesterton is on to something here. When we start to understand God's ways, when we start to understand that even in mourning God can give us blessing, we start to see that it is the only thing that's possible, the only thing that's realistic, the only thing that's very true. When we hear Jesus say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, what it should cause in us is, is questions. <laughs> How can you say that? <laughs> what are you saying? Happy are the unhappy? Come on, that doesn't make any sense, right? But be careful not to over, you know, overthink it or oversimplify it. Um, I want you to think deeply about this funnily enough that's actually what metanoia means repentance when jesus says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand it means think again think anew repent metanoia think again think anew so we need to be careful when we when we hear jesus say blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted we need to just, we need to stop like the prodigal we need to stop and think again come to our senses Jesus invites you and me. What are we supposed to do with our sorrow? What are we supposed to do with our grieving? What is the way of Jesus in this? Jesus invites you and I. Don't run from your pain. Think again. Don't don't run from your pain. Think again. You see, it's to the degree that you embrace sorrow through mourning that you will experience God's healing and comfort. I'll say that again. It's to the degree that you embrace sorrow through mourning that you will experience God's healing comfort. But it's only as you allow Him to work it into you. It's only as you allow Him to teach it to you. In the case of mourning and grieving, the best way out, the best way out of it, is through it. Be careful not to skip past the work of mourning in your life, what God is doing. God says you're blessed. Are you in an active state of mourning? God says you're blessed. This is is a counterintuitive message uh, for us broken humans. But there's a ring of truth to it, isn't there? Jesus wants us to live into our new humanity. He wants us to live realistically and so Jesus says in my kingdom those who are in a state of mourning are blessed because they will receive comfort both now and completely in eternity and it's not only Jesus who would lead us to live that way actually emotionally healthy lifestyle is is popular today we actually see this we can deduce that from science that healthy grieving uh, like the kind Jesus is talking about is actually the most human way to experience grief so I'll show you some, or uh, tell you about some stuff that I've been working on here. Some of the best wisdom today would agree, I read a really long article uh, last week from the National Institute of Health on a study um, where they studied m- people who are mourning over a period of decades. And one of the studies I read about, uh, they, they showed their work on what's called broken heart syndrome. Okay, you might, you might know what that is, you might not, I'll tell you um... broken heart syndrome is when your spouse or your partner in life dies suddenly or slowly and broken heart syndrome is when the spouse, the spouse who is left behind shortly follows after they die almost you know two three six months after their spouse dies their body shuts down and so scientists are studying why is that happening why is this happening and they, they call it broken heart syndrome the ones who failed, uh, what the study showed is that those who lost their spouse late in life, the ones who failed to mourn, to adapt to the loss of their loved one, the ones who failed to do that showed worse biomarkers for life. Are you picking that up? <laughs> Not grieving was killing them. Not mourning kills us. The biomarkers for health uh, are much lower and a higher risk of morbidity. Mourning is realistic. It's a good idea. Scientifically speaking, it's a good idea. Theologically speaking, it's a good idea. It's honest and it's healthy, but it's hard, isn't it? Counselors also agree. I think the cultural value of a stiff upper lip of always presenting a, a strong facade is, uh, is washing away, thank God. This idea that we can take it on the chin and saddle up anyway, be tough. We can see right through this nowadays. It's a broken idea. Nobody's perfect. You may have seen this, uh, it may have happened to you on social media, right, somebody presenting an Instagram perfect life. Um, Maybe it's happening to you in your workplace where you're tempted to always put a grin on. Wherever this is happening, the rise of what's known as toxic positivity, okay, wherever this is happening, it's because people are ill-equipped to deal with suffering and brokenness in their life. And they're running. And they're running from grief and it's killing them and uh, commenting on the rise of toxic positivity one therapist said this the ex- it, uh, toxic positivity is the excessive and ineffective overgeneralization of a happy optimistic state across all situations do you know anybody like that don't look around don't point okay it's the process the process of toxic positivity results in the denial and minimization An invalidation of authentic human emotional experience, not a Christian counselor. This is this is common sense. Mourning is realistic. Mourning is realistic. When this happens, we're experiencing a symptom of not mourning. We experience the opposite of a blessing. What's the opposite of a blessing? It's a curse. The opposite of a blessing is a curse. Don't get hung up on kind of the weird, you know, language and culture surrounding the idea of curses. Think of a curse as anything outside of the ways of God. It's broken. That's not what God wants for us. That's not what God's transforming us into. And now that broken culture gets into you, and it gets into me, and this isn't new. Right? We know that. Jesus knew it. Do you know that? And so Jesus says, in my kingdom, there are those who are in a state of mourning. It's actually that word, those who mourn, they will be comforted, as a present participle. What that means is, they're in a state of mourning. <laughs> they are mourning right now. It's active, right? Those who are in a state of mourning are blessed because when they mourn unto God, they will receive comfort, both now in part, and completely in eternity, Jesus wants us to mourn. It's realistic. He wants us to mourn to God, because lasting comfort can only come from God. Every other comfort, right? Just run down the list. Every other comfort was a it do. It just leaves you high and dry. It's gone. It's fleeting. Every other comfort. And this leads me to my third point. That comfort comes from God. Rather than mourning um, rather than mourning to God and finding comfort in Him all right, guilty <laughs> we try to skip that deep work. We try to skip that deep work of living realistically. We try to skip that deep work of realizing that we're empty in ourselves, and we go and seek immediate gratification, comfort. We go to anything else other than a realistic idea. We go to the fleeting things. And, th- and I think there are many reasons, man. We could do a whole sermon series on the things that we run to other than God, the things that we try to find comfort in other than God. Um, but let me just see how many I can squeeze in today, okay? You good with that? <laughs> All right, we'll just do a couple. We don't, one of the reasons we don't mourn well, one of the reasons we don't mo- mourn well is because we're unsure exactly who or whom We're supposed to mourn to. You you give, you know, we take this direction from Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's based on this presupposition that we are going to God. That we're mourning to God, that we have a relationship with God, that we're coming to him and mourning the brokenness in the world and what it ought to be. And mourning the brokenness in our own life and what it ought to be. Our culture does not do well with mourning because most of us aren't even sure if there is something out there or someone up there who actually knows and cares about our grief. Maybe we don't believe that God is good. We don't believe that God is gracious. Einstein once said, the most important question you have to answer is this, is the universe a friendly place or an unfriendly place? I'll tell you what I think he means. He's not here, so I'll just tell you what I think he means. Uh, Is there something in the universe that wants you to do well? Or isn't there? As a Christian, I would would take it a step further and ask, is there someone? Is there someone? Is there a person? Is there a being who wants you to do well? Or isn't there? You need to answer this. I think the people who who don't answer this and, and presuppose the universe is an unfriendly place... Believe themselves to be utterly alone in their struggles, if they're honest. That nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody can identify with the battles that I'm facing. That I am alone in this. And that's unbelief. It's unbelieving thought. But this is why Jesus' message of a new humanity is so radical, because he wants you to mourn to someone. He wants you to mourn unto God. This is why he can say, blessed are you when you're mourning, for you will be comforted. You will be comforted. It's precisely because of God's friendliness. Think of your best friend. How do you know they're your best friend? They pick up the phone at 4 AM, right? You're knocking on their door. It's the middle of the night. You need help. They come to the door and answer. When you're down on your luck, they help you out. It's precisely because of God's earthiness, because of God's comfort. Think God's comfort, his love for you, it has dirt on it. It's real. It's tangible. It's something you can feel and know. It's because of God's here-ness. It's because of God's now-ness that Jesus can say, Blessed are you when you're mourning. In our mourning, the Lord is near to us. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. So you may say, okay, you know, I think that argument holds water. But how can I know that God is friendly? Okay, so let me explain it this way. The Christian view of God is different from every other religious view of God. From a religious view of God. The Christian view of God is very different. The Christian sees God as a friend. We see God as a friend. So think of it this way. If all of the religions of the world... We're gathered around this mountain this mountain is the mountain of faith or whatever you want to call it and at the top of the mountain is nirvana inner peace god fulfillment paradise whatever you want to put up there maybe it's maybe it's jesus i don't know. you want to put whatever it is whatever religion they would put it there at their climax right right at the top all the religions of the world are gathered around the bottom of the mountain climbing and scraping doing everything they can penitence, paying for sin doing whatever they can Good works, lots of lots of mission, all these things, doing whatever we can to get to God. That's what all the religions of the world are doing. Christianity's different. Christianity says uh, we can't climb that mountain. Actually, we can't climb that mountain, and we don't have to. God in Jesus came down the mountain, and He died on a cross. And he picked me up and he put me on his back and he carried me up the mountain. The Christian idea of God is incarnation. The Christian idea of God is friend. That God would do for me what I could not do for myself. Christianity is the only religious faith in which God says, I suffered. I suffered. I cried out in suffering. Why would God do that? He came into the world and suffered and died on a cross in order to come down to my level, to get where I'm at, so that I would not be alone, to experience the deepest levels of loss and suffering in my life, in his life, in anyone's life. The cross then becomes not just a symbol of faith. You know, most people don't even know what the cross means anymore. (laughs) I was in my complex, I have a tattoo of a cross on my arm here. And this little, this little Punjabi girl said, Mr. John, why do you have a plus sign on your arm? <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's actually a symbol of love. <laughs> because that's what the cross is. The cross is the ultimate proof of God's love for us. So now when you suffer, though you might not know the reason for your suffering, you might not be able to yell through your suffering enough, you don't, you don't understand why this is happening to you, the cross can tell you what, it, what the reason isn't. The cross can tell you that it cannot be because God doesn't love you. The cross can tell you that it cannot be because he has no plans for you. The cross says it can't be because he's abandoned you. Jesus was left high and dry by his disciples, everyone. Everyone. Who claimed to follow him? He knows. The cross proves he loves you and understands what it means to suffer. Remember, we're spiritual zeros. That's okay, that's good. We're starting from ground zero. When we have zero things holding on to us in our life, we can finally reach out and hold on to God. There is a God. Maybe you need to hear this today. Yes, <laughs> there is a God. He, he is friendly. He is friendly. And when we mourn, like a good friend, he comes near. So blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What's the other reason we don't like to mourn well? Um, it's because we think it will hurt us. We think it's going to hurt. And uh, don't underestimate the fear Of pain as a deterrent right (laughs) pain deters us from a lot of things in life deters us from getting in shade deters us from a lot of things in life especially going into our grief and discovering our pain and if you're honest at some level you may believe that grieving is healthy but that it's not worth the work and it's not worth the pain that you'd have to experience going through it but remember the principle (laughs) for any difficult journey Okay. No matter how necessary it is for a traveler to undergo the pain of the journey, they need a vision of the end. <laughs> they need to know where they're going. Or they'll forget along the way. They need a picture of where they are going. Only then can we be successful in our journey. If you and I are to enter into grief, we will get lost in our grief and become nihilists. If we're to enter in alone, we will forget. But if we enter in with a friend if we keep the vision before us if we continue to understand that god is with me Then we will be successful in our journey We will find comfort in god the picture jesus gives us the promise he makes to us is in his kingdom Those who are in a state of mourning are blessed because they will receive comfort now And completed in eternity This is my last point for us today. How does God help us? (laughs) He shows us that there is no resurrection for your tears. Comfort only comes from God. And listen, in the resurrection, you'll be resurrected. Your body will be resurrected. The new new creation will will be made. But your tears will be forgotten. There's no resurrection for our tears. A vision of Jesus precipitates conviction. It comes before conviction. And a desire to repent and join his kingdom. Okay? So if you, if you have this sense that you do need to enter into some deep work and to mourn with God. But if you don't have a vision of Jesus, if you don't have a, a hope in him, then you're never going to do it. Because what's better than that? What, you know, you need something better than that pain. I was speaking with a man once, and he was uh, an incredibly wealthy person, and he spent some time in church, uh, but was, like, forever on the sideline, <laughs> like, never doing anything, rarely giving, like, maybe for tax season, and, and, uh, and some, you know, never serving, but, but always there. And, and he was a friend of mine, and we had enough trust in our friendship for me to ask him, straight up. What's holding you back? What's stopping you? What's stopping you from following Jesus? You got everything. Why not follow Him? And uh, <laughs> I wrote it down what He said. What He said to me stuck with me. He said, "He said, uh, listen, John. If Jesus was sitting here, if He's standing there right where you are, and He's He's saying the same thing you were saying to me, I'd do it." I was like, "Oh, okay." I was kind of surprised by that. I was like, okay, well, that sounds honest, (laughs) right? And the more that I think about that, this might be counterintuitive, but the more that I think about that, the more I actually agree with that. You see, you need to know Jesus to live for Jesus. You need to have a relationship with Jesus. Otherwise, your heart will forever be averse to the ways of Jesus. You won't want to follow him. You won't want to give up everything for him. You won't want to enter into deep healing. You'll avoid it because you don't know him. But if you know him, that's the game, that's the game changer. If you know him, if you, catch, if you catch a vision of Jesus, everything changes, right? Just like that guy said, if, if, I, if I could see him, I would. Uh, you, can, you can decide the end of the story there without a true and real experience of jesus your heart will go on against jesus without the grace of god without knowing his love uh, we don't want the ways of god i can't speak for others but for myself i will say in my sanest self in my most sane version of myself like the prodigal coming to himself right when i get a picture of god in my life when god says john you're ready man this sin, you're ready to confess it. This brokenness, you're ready to overcome it. This grief, you're ready to mourn it. When God gives me a vision of this, nothing stops me. Because I, I can't help myself. I'm fully drawn in by the divine. My friend. The fear of pain and grief is real. But I pray today for you, that you would receive grace. That you would get a picture of him. That you would trust him today. That there's comfort on the other side of your pain, that there's joy beyond sorrow, that there is life beyond death. In the resurrection, there will be no tears. Uh, I like how Pastor Darrell said it. um, You guys probably hear Darrell Johnson a lot here, uh, knowing Alex. But uh, Pastor Darrell said it once this way He said, Grief does not kill. Uh, it It feels like it will, but it does not. It is trying to suppress the grief that kills Jesus is saying to us that comfort is not found by insulating your heart But by opening your heart This is his way of letting us know right from the beginning That living in the kingdom In the world Will involve sorrow He does not promise Unbroken happiness When Jesus blesses our grieving it's his way of telling us that this sorrow is a part of the process in which we grow I hope you can hear me if you have pain I'm sure you do you need to listen to it you need to listen to the pain listen to the sorrow don't fear the pain think again you're blessed As you mourn, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. To put it another way, you know, if I may be so bold to add to the words of Jesus, to put it another way, cursed are those who refuse to actually mourn. Only false comforts await them. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. Cursed are those who refuse to mourn, only false comforts await them. Jesus mourned the death of his friends. Jesus mourned the destructive power of sin in the world, pulling it apart. He mourned the pain that he would have to go undergo on the, on the cross. And in Jesus, you and me have a friend that knows our grief. And in Jesus, we have a comfort. It's interesting. He said, when Jesus says he's going to send the helper to us, that word helper is, is parakletos. I'm going to send you a comforter. There's an experience there's a spiritual physical real experience that happens a real spiritual peace when we mourn to to him he also promises us a resurrection where there are no more tears in revelation 21 john records this he says i heard a loud shout from the throne saying look god's home is now among his people he will live with them and they will be his people god himself will be with them think of the friend language god himself will be with them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain all these things are gone forever and the one sitting on the throne said look i am making all things new this is what it means to mourn that we can come to god honestly realistically we can tell him like it tell it to him like it is we can shout, we can have passionate grief, we can be real about the sorrows that we're facing. And so Jesus says, in my kingdom, those who mourn are blessed because they will receive comfort both now, in part, and completely in eternity. Amen. Amen. We're going to uh, move into a time of